Hello and welcome to South Asia Chat, a podcast brought to you by the Institute of South Asian Studies at the National University of Singapore. I'm your host Ramita Ayer, a research analyst at the institute. The 2022 G20 summit is set to take place in Bali in Indonesia on the 15th and 16th of November this year. The G20 is an annual intergovernmental forum that discusses international economic issues to maintain economic stability and foster economic growth and prosperity. What's significant is that the organization consists of member countries with different kinds of political regimes but representing more than 80% of the world's GDP, 75% of international trade and 60% of the world population. To give us a sense of what we can expect from the G20 summit this year, we have with us Dr. Amitendu Palit, Senior Research Fellow and Research Lead of Trade and Economics at ISAS. Dr. Palit, it's great to have you back on South Asia Chat. Thank you, Ramita. My pleasure. So with the G20 presidency of Indonesia this year and the upcoming presidency of India next year, one of the observations is that there's sort of a G20 presidency of emerging economies that's coming up. In this sense, do you see the issues of developing countries being prioritized at the summit? I think that's a very pertinent observation to begin with, Ramita, because of the simple reason that we look at the G20 as the most formidable group of economies in the world for several years now. And this is a group which comprises the G7 members, most of them at least. It comprises a lot of OECD countries. But at the same time, it also has powerful emerging market, large developing economies, uh, China, India, Indonesia, uh, Brazil, Egypt as members. And by a strange turn of events, uh, beginning from Indonesia this year, for the next few years, presidency is going to be rolling uh, point of succession with a chair going to go to the developing countries. So yes, I agree with you. I would very much expect some specific developing country issues to feature prominently in the G20 agenda. And that in fact is a source of great comfort, I would say, for a large part of the developing countries because uh, we all know about the background in which uh, just current G20 summit is going to be held because we have had the COVID-19 pandemic. The pandemic continues to recur in short bursts and episodes in different parts of the world. And the developing countries clearly have had more challenges following COVID to handle than their developed counterparts. And the challenges have not been confined to only the field of public health but they have extended to much uh, deeper and wider concerns, including the geopolitical turbulence that the world has seen in the wake of COVID-19. So I would, uh, to come back to the point that you mentioned, I would definitely expect developing country-specific concerns to feature prominently in the G20 agenda. But having said that, uh, one must also not lose sight of the fact that uh, perhaps the G20 being the kind of group that it is, perhaps it will need to remain as inclusive as possible in embracing an agenda because ultimately it represents uh, more than four-fifths of the world economy and the global GDP. So that's where the distinction between developed and developing economies don't arise. And there are some concerns which clearly are global concerns, but within those concerns, there probably would be a bigger space for the developing countries' specific sensitivities as we see the presidency moving down the developing country members. 
So this year's G20 summit tagline is recover together recover stronger. What are some of the key issues that you think will be raised at the summit? Firstly, I think the entire question of recovering stronger uh, has got a new traction right now because uh, the way we see the global economy performing is a bit of surprise in the sense that the immediate rebound following covid-19 was rather strong and that rebound was noticeably strong among a lot of developing country members but today what we are witnessing is a very different specter and that is where the concern over recovery is no more just covid-19 specific but the concerns have taken on a, a wider ramification and i think this is largely because of the uh, russia ukraine conflict which the world has seen which wasn't an immediate pre covid development but it was a development that happened much later and it was a surprising development to the extent that uh, the world wasn't really prepared for this i mean i suppose there was this expectation that with covid doing the kind of damage that it has done for all of the world uh there would not be any further damage creating mechanism that would arise but uh, unfortunately that has not happened that way a lot of the pressure the world is experiencing right now is because of this conflict now at this point in time the g20 has certainly a very difficult role to play because uh, russia is a prominent member of g20 at the same time ukraine is another country while not being a member of the g20 has been substantively engaged by many of the other G20 members including particularly the western oecd nations so when this entire question of uh, recovering together and stronger is looked at a little bit more clearly one just hopes that it doesn't remain a slogan but it actually becomes a point of action because honestly had the G20 been able to put behind all its internal political differences among members and then taken a pledge to work together on uh, whatever be the elements of the recovery be it managing the public health concerns be it managing environment or even some other noticeable global concern then it really would have been a matter of great confidence but unfortunately at this point in time and coming back to this phase of recovery there appears to be uh, some sort of cynicism in so far as how much the g20 will be able to progress in this regard so looking more closely at the point you mentioned about economic recovery and the global economic perspective and situation that exists today uh, the g20 is the summit this year is taking place against you know not only the covid-19 recovery but also in the face of an impending recession that's predicted so how do you see the grouping tackle these issues I think Ramita one of the points that we should not lose sight of is that if you look at the projections of global growth that have come out these are low by all yardsticks and when i say all yardsticks i think even the multilateral institutions themselves uh, the IMF and the Asian Development Bank or uh, the World Bank for that matter or even the major economies the rating agencies across the world have actually been pushed back very heavily by the fact that from nowhere in the world do you get signs of a bright spot i mean there's there's no bright patch it looks like to be a completely across the board widespread period of gloom and within the g20 countries perhaps with the 
exception of maybe Saudi Arabia, India or partly Indonesia. I don't really think you can see any major economy performing the way they should to beat the imminent recessionary prospects that is around the world. Now, at this point in time, what the G20 perhaps might be thinking of doing is taking a look back in history and look at the way it had uh, gathered around the transatlantic financial crisis in 2008 and try to see what are the ways forward. But what I suspect is going to affect the G20 now, and there are two constraints that come to my mind in this regard. The first is that the ability of the countries themselves to turn around their economies has got significantly limited because during the COVID-19 pandemic, countries have devoted very large parts of their budgets to shoring up public health management. So which means there's already a pressure on their accounts and revenue capacities to spend more for tackling a recession. And the second problem is the point that we discussed earlier. There is a political division. There is a political, you know, lack of agreement over what should be the way forward. Because again, this largely arises from the fact that if we look back at the, at the main causes which are bringing about this recession, uh, we can't overlook the fact that basic prices, and when I say basic prices, I refer to food, energy, transport prices, have shot through the roof. The markets which have traditionally given a source of comfort to economies in terms of the real estate market in big economies like China have completely collapsed. And while the Chinese real estate collapse could be a very specific economy factor to China, the rest of the concerns are arising from the prolongation of the conflict that we see between Russia and Ukraine. And that is a subject on which the G20 is divided. So one really can't see how the G20 can put its act together to get a politically agreeable and acceptable agenda for some common anti-recession measures. Having said that, what one might expect in the current summit to emerge is that there are certain rules which the global community had agreed upon. Let's say, for example, a minimum corporate tax rule of 15%, uh, certain rules with respect to avoiding uh, uh, corruptions and uh, ensuring financial transparency, which the OECD and several other countries have agreed on. These might get a further endorsement from the G20. But in addition to these, uh, the G20 really, really is going to face an uphill task. I, I don't really see them uh, coming out with very strong prescriptions, which are implementable, because um, just as an aside, in the past, there have been instances when G20 has tried to get into areas of individual economic concern. For example, five years ago, there was a, a provision introduced in the G20 meeting on the handling of excess capacity that certain economies have built up. And that was in specific reference to the excess capacity that China had developed. And the concerns that many other G20 members had over the alleged quote-unquote dumping practices which China followed. It wasn't really uh, something which the G20 could implement because the implementation part of these provisions remains upon the individual economies. So I guess, again, if we want to look back at what the G20 can do and how much it can achieve, I think to a very large extent, the G20's role is going to be symbolic. 
it's probably going to send out the signals which need to be picked up by themselves and the rest of the world as to what are the best measures following. But one thought over here is that just before the G20 summit, there will be the COP27 summit. So if the signals from that summit on the environment and sustainability paths are at least those which are picked up by the G20, and there is a congruence between these two summit decisions, then we can perhaps come to a conclusion that it's been a reasonably satisfactory summit and such actions can also, to an extent, thwart the uh, deep recession prospects. Just to probe a bit further on the Russia-Ukraine war, through the various meetings that have taken place at the G20 level throughout this year, there has been quite a bit of controversy. With the grouping comprising both Western countries and Russia, there have been reports of boycotts or even walkouts during many of these meetings. So can you throw some light on this and what challenges is this going to present? Essentially, Ramita, I suppose the problem is that this is where the world is probably for the first time in many, many years. And this is since uh, the time we saw the collapse of the Berlin Wall and the disaggregation of the USSR and uh, from the early 1990s. From when the world had primarily taken a unipolar shape and today we once again see a return to some sort of multipolarity, but again the Poles are not necessarily just uh, bipolar. There are really strongly multiple poles that are surfacing. And uh, perhaps there was a point in time when there was this conclusion that it's going to be a world which is going to be split between the United States and China insofar as alliances and third parties are concerned. But now it seems that uh, Russia is back as a very prominent global actor capable of uh, impacting the global uh, relationships in a very significant way. And Russia has not shown any inclination to back down. On the other hand, Ukraine also is now clearly in a position where it senses that it has got considerable support to prolong the struggles. Now, what that means is uh, not really very good news for the rest of the world because there doesn't seem to be possibility of the let-up coming from either side, uh, which is not an acceptable proposition. Having said that, if the Russia-Ukraine war prolongs, the ripple effects are going to be felt on G20. What that means for the G20's future is very uncertain. And in fact, there are already some concerns being reflected in various sectors that will the G20 be able to keep itself bound together the way it has over all these years and take, you know, decisions on important global concerns as a united body. I think these are uh, queries and concerns which will only get answers over time. But I agree with you on the point that the Russia-Ukraine conflict is going to cast a very deep shadow over the impending G20 summit. Uh, strangely, this is a conflict which appears to be now reaching a stage of some sort of quote-unquote managed direction because we have seen that both Russia and Ukraine have allowed to passage of greens, emergency passage of greens, and there might be certain other provisions which are coming in. So this is a very strange kind of environment for the world to exist in. But I think at every stage, there will be this possibility that all decisions will be looked at at the G20 very, very closely. And all the parties will be out to reflect by what extent those affect their individual interests. So let's say, for example, if, if there is a decision to be taken in an environment, 
I think that decision also will have to go through the prism of the prevailing sanctions across the world and whether those affect individual G20 member interests in some respect or other. In short, a very tough situation and difficult conditions for the G20 to move ahead. Finally, looking ahead, with India set to take up the presidency of the G20 next year, what are your thoughts on the contribution that Delhi can make during its tenure? I think at one point in time and so far as the history is concerned, it's also important to note that India is uh, finishing 75 years of its economic independence and political independence and it's probably coming at a critical juncture for the economy. Now, this is not, of course, to look beyond these statistical domains, but I think in some respects, India has a unique role to play in so far as taking, you know, the G20 agenda forward is concerned. Because I think India is one of those very few G20 members which can continue to engage all the politically disparate factions within the G20. India is in that kind of a somewhat unique position. Uh, so... It's, of course, very well engaged with the United States and it's also reasonably well engaged with the Russians as well. And I think India has made it pretty clear over the last one year that even when it comes to a subject like COVID-19, it is prepared to put up its hands and take the responsibility, at least so far as vaccine management and its distribution is concerned. The COP26 commitments from India were uh, really phenomenal. And there are at least parts of those commitments which are being lifted up quite well. So the long and short of it is that when India gets to go into the presidency of the G20, it does so with a considerably sound track record of accomplishment. Now, it is up to India and the rest of the members to decide that how does it utilize its track record to bring in what kind of goals that would be actually acceptable to the global community. What I would uh, personally feel is, is something that India can certainly look up to uh, addressing is that one of the concerns that remains with the whole world is this concern over inclusivity. There's still this huge anger, discontent, political frustration, social agony over the fact that too much of wealth is concentrated with too few people. And the G20 is ideally the best forum uh, to bring some sort of a parity into this extremely skewed distribution of resources. Now, whether India as a developing country can play a role in this regard is something that the world will be very keenly watching. I would personally feel that perhaps if the idea of development finance can be taken forward during India's presidency in a constructive fashion and a development finance role which is connected to the subject of sustainable development. India has already shown considerable proclivity in issuing green bonds and mobilizing resources through it. Then that will be uh, some sort of a lasting uh, contribution and uh, a good legacy for India to leave behind. Well, thanks so much, Dr. Palit, for being on the podcast. You're welcome. My pleasure. You are listening to South Asia Chat. To learn more about our work, visit us at isas.nus.edu.sg. You can also get daily updates through social media. We're on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook and Instagram. Mm-hmm.